another week on Chasing Interesting. We're still running. Craig Hoffman, Joe Gerard, Joseph. Hey, uh, look, I just want to make sure you're healthy and you're good. You were complaining that you were hungry earlier. I just want to make sure my little boy has a snack. Are we good? <laughs> I am I'm hungry. I actually do have uh, the healthy thing's a funny one right now. Uh, I had a really old person thing happen to me last night. You ready for this story? Did you, I didn't did tell you, you this was your coming. Pants? No, I didn't. No. Not that old. Okay. Not that old. Okay. More of like your your forties, fifties old than your seventies, eighties old. Okay. Pants, pants, fine. Shoulder, not so much. So I'm sitting over over there on the couch and uh, watching watching the game, and a spider crawls out onto my couch, and I'm like, oh, that's not good. I don't like spiders, and so I'm like, I'm gonna kill this little shit, and so I grab a pillow off the couch, and they're pretty heavy pillows. And I'm like, ah, swing it. Kill the spider. Worse for the spider than for me. But my left shoulder is hurting. It. Like, I knew it instantly. Like, I threw out my shoulder killing a spider with a pillow. That's amazing. For someone who works out pretty regularly, I don't understand how that even happens. I don't either. It's terrible. It's pathetic. Uh, I'm I, embarrassed. I, I, Yeah, I'm... I'm glad you're embarrassed for me because my embarrassment is not enough. There's not enough embarrassment <laughs> that can be embodied in one person for the shame I feel for having injured my shoulder, killing a spider on a couch with a pillow. By the way, yeah, the, and the problem is probably is you don't stretch enough. That's when I throw that out there. Is that is that your diagnosis, Doctor Gerard? <laughs> That's, my, That's my diagnosis with that situation. Dr. You need to stretch Joe. more. Okay, I'll I'll do that. I'll stretch more. Okay. Thank you. Because we can't be having these kind of injuries. I wish I wish people could see the face I just made at you. Uh, it could, Great. you know, you know, like the little the little emoji that's got like the little squiggly line mouth. And it's like, huh? <laughs> that's that's the face I just made at Joe. That's that's that's, my, that's, that's my what I think emoji. of his di- diagnosis. Uh, coming up on the show today, uh, we have a clip from an interview we did on the Train with the Best podcast that is really really interesting. Uh, on what it is like to be black in the fitness industry. Roz Frazier writes for Self Magazine. She wrote an article on the subject. Uh, she herself is a black person in the fitness industry, certified as a trainer, uh, but is actually a journalist uh, in the industry. She doesn't actively train, but she's been around it for a long time, and she talked to 11 different African-Americans in the fitness space uh, throughout all kinds of different spots in the fitness space, from group fitness to boutique fitness uh, and, and everything in between. So we're going to let you hear a chunk of that interview in just a little bit. Also, uh, plenty of sports to talk about. NFL kicks off tonight uh, as we record this, as we always do middays on Thursday. So we will get into that a little bit later in the show. But we start, Joseph, with important and interesting. And yesterday, the big story drops in the Washington Post. And it, it is both a big story and it's not. The story we're referring to is President Trump told Bob Woodward famous Woodward and Bernstein who broke the whole Watergate story back in the 70s, uh, told him that uh, in February, long, long time ago, that he basically did understand how serious this virus is. COVID-19 that we've been dealing with since January, the lockdowns, almost 200,000 dead at this point, and that he didn't want to take it seriously or didn't want to outwardly say how serious it was because he, he wanted to avoid creating panic uh well with two hundred thousand dead uh really great job on that don 
just excellent management of the crisis. Uh, commend you for no panic that has happened in the last seven months. I have a lot of issues with this. I think some of them are obvious. Some of them are not. When when you read this, uh, and I know you were watching some of the coverage on CNN last night, like, what did you think at first before I dive off the deep end? That's the thing. Here, Trump knew he was recorded, right? So he, yeah. there wasn't much of a surprise there because he knew he was doing this interview with Bob Woodward and it was being recorded. And eventually, I would imagine he knew this was going to come out. I would think. I don't know. And then the other thing was like CNN had the exclusive, but is this not coming out in a in a in a book or something that Bob's putting out? Yeah, it or is. It's coming. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't clear on that. Okay, so right, and so obviously that that the story is, and CNN ran with this one to the hills, um, that Trump downplayed the coronavirus. He knew how deadly and how severe it was, yet he wanted to downplay it and come off as is not as big as people were thinking it was going to be. Should he have done that? Probably not. Do I actually see why he did that? Yes. That's if you believe him. What do you mean? Do you actually believe he didn't want to create panic? Or is everything for him a a short-term political play because he's interested in only himself? And his idea that panic would have been bad for him. Like, people haven't panicked the last seven months because they don't know where the hell their next paycheck is going to come from or where their next meal is going to come from or that their loved one is in a hospital dying. Like, it, it's such a—it it falls apart so fast on the actual substance of what we're talking about. It just shows that he is both malevolent— like, The Trump administration is this in a nutshell— a competition between malevolence and incompetence in which we always lose. Mm. It's well evil said. and it's stupid because he always makes these short-term political calculuses that are never correct, that are never actually good for him politically. There is a version of the Trump presidency where he is evil and also gets away with it at a much higher level than right now. But he's too stupid because he always gives up the game. And he always can't help himself in being completely and totally narcissistic because he is a narcissist. Like, I'm not saying that in a name-calling sense. Like, I'm saying that in, like, a mental health, like, actual diagnosis as much as any of us can diagnose from our couches. Like, he is a narcissist. He is completely consumed with himself. And so he thought about what is a global pandemic. What every previous president in the last two decades has said is the scariest thing that can happen during a presidency. And by the way, the opening line of this article is literally the National Security Advisor, Robert O'Brien, saying this is the biggest challenge you will face in your presidency to Donald Trump. And what did he think about? How is this going to affect me politically? I don't want to spread panic. Not because he was doing it out of some goodwill, that he was trying to keep everybody, keep the nation calm. It's because he thought panic would be bad for him politically because that's who he is. So fuck you for doing that because the president of the United States has a responsibility to all of us to keep us safe. And 200,000 people will be dead within the next couple of days because he made that decision. Just so I can just like play devil's advocate here for, for just for a second. What would you have, what would you have liked him to do? So he gets, he knew it was that bad or he knew it, it was coming in a way that even he couldn't control. What would you have liked him to that, do? See, that's the problem, though. He can control it. He has the levers of the federal government. So what you do is you listen to the scientists. 
And the scientists would have told you at the time, hey, this has the possibility to be a pandemic. So let's shut down the country. Like, let's tell people, hey, this could be extremely bad and hundreds of thousands of people could die. This is shaping up to be something that looks like the 1918 flu pandemic, which killed 50 million people around the world. We have a lot better science. We have a lot better medicine. Let's make sure we don't do that. So here's what we need everybody to do. We're going to have you take two weeks off from work. We'll pay you, and you're just going to stay home. Everybody stay home. If you do that, this virus is going to die. And that slows down. Like, if it's an exponential curve growth, then you can slow down the actual start of it. Then it never gets off the ground. And so creating a seriousness is one thing. Then there's a lot of other things, and... um. There's a great podcast uh, that Ben Rhodes is doing, uh, who's the former deputy national security advisor to Barack Obama, a former senior advisor, advisor to Obama. And it's called Missing America. And it talks about how America has gone missing on the world stage and what that ultimately means. What does it mean for America to not have its leadership place in the world? Because we are used to organizing the world. And it talks about how in 2014... When Ebola started to pop up in Africa, specifically in West Africa, how President Obama was like, yo, we got to do something about this. And he did. And he organized uh, military, uh, he organized the U.S. military to go over there and build hospitals because the military is really good at building things quickly. He organized other countries to take where they had connections. So, for instance, in Sierra Leone, where France has played a big role, for better and mostly for worse, uh, over the course of their history. Like, he put a ton of pressure on France to go in there and help and send doctors. You had all, all these doctors coming from all over the world, even from China and, and, you know, the Koreas. Like, literally every corner of the world comes together in East Africa or in West Africa to put the kibosh on this virus before it gets out of hand. And it saves an untold amount of lives because when you do the prevention, you don't know how bad it would have actually gotten. But likely based off projections, it saved millions of lives and Ebola never made it in any significant way to the United States. That's how you react to a potential pandemic. And again, Obama and Vice President Biden, I'm not just saying this because he is now Donald Trump's opponent, he was actually a huge part of this, along with Ron Klain, who's one of Biden's senior advisors now. Um, They put together a literal pandemic playbook and said, this is how you do it. And so the very short answer to what you asked initially of like, what would you have liked to see him do? Follow the fucking playbook. It's right there. Right. And hundreds of thousands of people don't have to die. We don't have to have the worst economic crisis we've had since the Great Depression. None of this had to happen. And the fact that he knew all along is, again, a reminder that in the competition between incompetence and malevolence, we probably give incompetence too much credit. We probably just go, God, he's an idiot way too often. And boy, is he dumb. Donald Trump is a moron. But he's also, because of his narcissism, he is evil in ways that almost no U.S. president has ever been before. And the value he puts on human life outside of his own is basically none. And that, by the way, is also seen, I know I'm on a hell of a rant here, but it's also seen in his comments about the military with the suckers and losers stuff. Like, he can't imagine giving himself up for something greater and a bigger cause. He can't imagine the concept of sacrifice. And so, when you have someone who thinks like that, it infiltrates every decision they make. And when you have the power 
of the United States. You have the levers at your disposal of the United States government and everything that means from military mobilization um, in nonviolent ways to the ability to um, invoke the Defense Production Act to take essentially take over U.S. companies to make things to like like masks and PPE to make ventilators that he could have done way sooner. Like it was all about the optics. And by the way, he lost on all those because they're all universally essentially outside of his own base panned as being irresponsible decisions. It's all about the short term. Can I look good in this moment right now? Not what is going to create the best outcome for the country. Take a beat, Craig Hoffman. Uh, just so we're clear, there was a playbook, because I, I remember hearing about this all the time. Uh, Biden talks about it. Obama talked about it. There was a playbook sitting in the White House for th- in case this actually could have happened, and obviously it did. I don't know. Did he not... Did anyone not tell him that it's there? Did he ignore the playbook? Did it? Did they throw it out? Obama wrote it, so he threw it out. Like it's that simple. Oh. He just he hates the black guy that was had the job before him, so he doesn't listen ever. That's crazy. Obama told Trump and George W. Bush. By the way, this isn't again. Like I don't mind being partisan, but this isn't partisan. I'm pretty sure I remember reading George W. Bush telling Obama, like, "Hey, the biggest threat that we have is not." terrorism it's not any of that stuff it that that is big and scary the way the media hypes it up it's a pandemic if a pandemic hits that's the most dangerous national security threat we have right now and obama obviously dealt with that with ebola uh he dealt with that on some level with h1n1 and he told trump the same thing like yo this is the most dangerous thing that could happen is a pandemic and he didn't listen because he of course he didn't listen because he he Hey, and there's there's also more about this uh, in Woodward's book and in that Washington Post article um, that he just hates Obama. He didn't think he was smart, um, and he, you know, it basically comes down to the idea that like he doesn't think a black guy should be president because he's a simple dotty old racist who is completely obsessed with himself. Yeah, that book's gonna be very interesting when that comes out. So let me let me ask you this about this book. Is, by the way, is that gonna come out before the election? Do you? Do we yeah, know it comes out like next week. Okay. But specific to these conversations about COVID-19, I have a real problem with it not coming out sooner. Like, there were tapes, you, you touched on this briefly, but like, so these conversations, and there was a, a series of 18 conversations, I think, over the course of the last six months. So there's conversations about racial injustice and, and racism in America, which are also just mind-blowing and how insane Trump is on this stuff. Um, and they're all on the record, on tape, everything. But specific to COVID-19, more public pressure earlier and an acknowledgement from Trump, Trump's own voice saying, yeah, this is really bad. How many lives could that have saved? Yeah, I mean, quite a few. You're saying you're saying if he had said this back in February. Yeah, to me, there's an ethical obligation by Bob Woodward to go, holy shit. This is like I need to get this out now. Like, screw my book. There's people dying. I understand protecting sources, or you know, you know, you're on your schedule. You know, the journalistic process, yada yada yada. When you're covering the president of the United States in the middle of a fucking pandemic, your job. Think back to what Hub said a couple weeks ago. What's journalism's job? To serve the public. It ain't to sell books. And I, Bob Woodward's made plenty of money. He don't he don't need this this book money, and 
he could still have sold a lot of books. There's plenty in this stuff that, uh, plenty of, of, even in this Washington Post excerpt that makes me want to buy this book and go, how much worse is it? There is an obligation to serve the public, and it's bullshit that they sat on this for this long, in my opinion. Yeah, I wonder why. Because he, he, you're right, and it just leaked now. It's obviously been around since February, maybe even sooner. So why, that's interesting. Why not drop it earlier? Capitalism. By the way, I'm sure there's a meaning. I'm sure there is a reason. I mean, you know, Bob isn't green. He's not a rookie. You know, he's oh, yeah. an incredible journalist. So I'm sure, sure. There, was, there was something, there was a reason behind it. But here would be my question. What reason could justify not saving lives? Maybe him thinking right. Who knows? It's not his place. This is the president's situation. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. To me, that ain't, there isn't one. Save save the lives. Selling books ain't, ain't worth it. This ain't about your timeline on selling books. Sorry. Some things are bigger than that. You know, before we, we kind of move on to the next thing, will Trump come forward? Will he say something about this? Like, will he take ownership of this pandemic before the election in your eyes? No. He takes credit for good things, even when they're not things he did. And he passes the blame to other people when things go badly. It's what he's done for his entire life. Like he's not going to change between now and November 3rd. Heard that. Hey! Welcome to my lawn. Uh, Joseph, you live in California, which, not to be glib, means your lawn is, you know, possibly on fire. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean to laugh. I actually want to cry because it has gotten super severe. By the way, not just California. Have you been checking social media? It's gone as far north as yep. Washington State. Yep. Oregon is is literally ablaze right now. Yeah. Washington State. It's, it's Northern, really bad. Northern California, you know, San Francisco. San Francisco crazy looks photos. Like, a, like a really weird scene in a movie right now. Some mm-hmm. of the images coming out of there are just unbelievable. And, like, it's not just the, the professional-grade photographs or, you know, high-quality drone footage. Like, People are going out with their iPhones and like their Instagram stories of my friends that live out there. They're just, it's, it's absolutely insane how bad it is right now. Yeah. So one of the fires uh, that happened uh, in the El Dorado Hills out here in Southern California was caused by a group of people at a gender reveal party, Craig Hoffman. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'm sure by now because it's very big on social media. Yeah. Congratulations where, on the- not having the internet. Your life is so much better for it. Basically, it's soon-to-be parents or repeat parents where they do something zany and fun to reveal what gender of baby they're having. And a lot of times you'll see, you know, uh, a couple is cutting into a cake that will either be blue or pink or hitting a golf ball that will be blue or pink. Uh, This group of people uh, decided to use pyrotechnics and use a bunch of fireworks to reveal what baby they're having. Uh... Whether it, I actually don't even know if it was going to be a boy or girl. The story doesn't really reveal that. But so Honestly, anyway, at this point, minor detail. Minor detail. So they have these eccentric uh, pyrotechnics that go up in the sky, and when they fall down, they started a little bit of smoke, and which turned to fire, which now has sparked over 10,000 acres of damage uh, of, of, of blazing here in, in Southern California because of this such event, which I believe they're going to be held accountable for. I don't know how that how that works. 
and 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 thousands of people have now been uh, evacuated from their homes. Some people have already lost their homes, uh, and it's just, dude, it's a nightmare. And you know, we had some really severe heat over the weekend in some areas, getting up to 112, 116 degrees uh, Sunday and Monday of this past week. So, uh, and even now, look out the window. It, it's super like hazy right now. So like none of it's, it's not really gone away. The smoke is kind of lingering. You can definitely smell it when you step outside your house. And it's so sad, dude. Like it's just, it's unfortunate. And it just, when, when things happen out of your control, when fires happen, it's, it sucks. But when things happen, when people do stupid shit like that, it's even worse. Yeah. And it's amplified by climate change. It shouldn't be this hot. Um, and I think of people in Northern California or other parts of the, the Pacific Northwest who, you know, they, they live in a, a place where you don't get AC because it's never been this hot and it's a, you know, you don't have to spend that kind of money. Like, okay, well, I don't, I'm never going to use AC, so why don't I have it? And right now it's a hundred degrees and you can't open your fucking windows because of the smoke. Yeah. Like it's or- brutal. You go out to your car and you have you can't see you got to wipe off your windshield because you have ash all over your car and your windshield and you need to it's like it's like wintertime uh, living on the east coast and you got to scrape your windshield with the ice scraper yeah out here you got to now do it with with ashes because there's so much ash falling from the sky that's wild God that's brutal and I, I just imagine a decade from now that kid whose quote unquote gender was revealed it's like because that's the thing. It's like we call them gender reveals. They're not. They're genital reveals. Mm. It's, you know, we we know enough about gender now to know that it's not binary. It's not blue or pink. It's not boy or girl. It's it's on a sliding scale. So, you know, it's pretty stupid. It, it's just whether or not the, the kid has a penis or not. So, like, right. in 10 years, you know, yeah, um, hey, Hey mom, I was reading about this fire ten years ago in our backyard. Like, what was that about? Yeah, me and Daddy wanted to know if you had a penis, so we uh, <laughs> we set off some fireworks when we found out, and then ten thousand acres burned down, and we were sued, and we actually went to jail for four years. <laughs> so I mean, it's um, you know how you used to live with Grandma, <laughs> uh, and you come visit us, yeah, behind behind a wall. It's scary, man, and it's uh, you know, it's the fires. I mean, every year you hear, you kind of hear about the fires in California and up and down the Pacific Coast. This year, we're getting we're getting hit pretty good, and it, it doesn't help, of course, like you said, with the climate change and the heat. It's just been just monstrosities. Well, yeah, it's and just crazy. It didn't used to be like that though. Like the idea that we're used to fires every year and we expect it is insane, or like that we're having once a decade hurricanes three times a hurricane season. Like, this shit isn't normal. Craig, none of it's normal. Fix it. Fix it now! I'm working on it, Joe. But I'm hungry. <laughs> Somebody get this kid a yogurt. Get the f- this week on The Train with the Best Podcast with myself and Chris Gores, we had Roz Frazier, who is a writer for Self Magazine, on. She wrote a piece last week that caught my eye because it is the exact topic that Chris and I had wanted to talk about on the pod for months. Uh, we took a month off in July, so that, you know, just tend to kill your ability to have a conversation about such things or anything. 
But uh, now that we're back and back in the groove, uh, this was the perfect conversation. Um, and we wanted to let you hear on this podcast just a small bit of it. Roz wrote an article called Being Black in the Fitness Industry. Self-explanatory. It was fascinating. She was awesome. Can't recommend reading the article enough. And here's about five minutes of that conversation. The piece is about being a person of color and specifically a black person in the fitness industry and how long uh, this industry has to go. And uh, the piece was, it was really enlightening. And, and there's a lot of it that I think if you're paying attention at all was very expected. And then maybe some things that people might not have expected as much if you're not a person of color, if you don't have that lived experience. And uh, as you mentioned in the piece, and as you just talked about, you had experienced so many of the things that you were told by other trainers yourself. Um, so I'm no, I'm sure no individual story was really super shocking, but you talk about in the piece how the collective started to really affect you. And that's when you kind of realize like, oh, wow, the, the, the depth of this problem might even be deeper than I thought. When was that moment that that threshold crossed from, you know, like, okay, I, I knew this, none of this is surprising to a kind of a new level that, that took the story where it did? I think that when you are listening to people recount their experiences, um, it's always going to affect you. But I think that when you hear it back to back to back to back, mm -hmm. then you, you just kind of sit in amazement. You know, the stories that they were just so consistent. And I was interviewing people at different times, different places, um, and they were in different industries. But I mean, different industries in terms of maybe someone was at this studio or a different studio, but everything that they said was in line, you know, and I think if you look at anything that we're going through in the world today, you know that it's out there. But when you see it or hear it repeatedly, you're kind of forced to deal with it. So I, I would say I would see things in my personal life and you're like, oh, well, okay, this is happening, but maybe it's just me, maybe, you know, and then you talk to all of these people and they're continually saying, this is my story. This is what I'm experiencing. And I think that's the moment. I think by, I interviewed 11 people. By the time you get to the fourth or fifth person, you're like, this is really an issue. Right. Right. What were some of the, the, the glaring ones for those who haven't read the article? Um, you know, I, I think that um, there are some, like you said, it's, it's, it's pretty across the board when you talk to, to people and their stories about what they've dealt with. And, and I certainly dealt with that as a young trainer and still, and still to this day deal with it a little bit. Um, what were the things that, that stood out to you as, Hey, this is something that needs to change. I think one of the things that stood out to me was uh, one of the trainers, Carlos, talked about how, you know, they're seen as supposed to like the physical element of fitness versus mm -hmm. the mental side. So, Correct. you know, people don't necessarily think that they're smart. <laughs> you know, a lot of these <laughs> trainers have, you know, it's not like they've fallen into fitness. You know, a lot of these trainers, this is their dedicated path and they have taken the necessary steps and they have, you know, advanced degrees in this or they have advanced certifications. So when you're taking that time, like this is something very serious and for someone to say, oh, I, I didn't know that you could communicate so well, or I didn't know <laughs> that, you know, 
you they're surprised at how smart like that really touched me and i think if you look at just historically look at things like let's take football for instance okay and we sure. take the quarterback <laughs> you know oftentimes back in the day a black person couldn't be the quarterback why is that because that was considered the brains of Correct. the team they had to do the yeah. thinking you know they had to be the leader and black people weren't seen as the leader and i think that this parallels that like they don't see a lot of these trainers as you know having the true knowledge in this field yeah yeah i think i think there's also another level to that and that parallel to the football quarterback is also the football head coach right i think you know yeah. being in where in the space that i've been in for the for the last several years as craig knows um the being able to establish yourself as a credible, smart, knowledgeable trainer who is educated and, and has done all of the certifications is, is only one step. And then the next step is, where do you get those certifications from? And a lot of times when you go to these seminars and I've had a chance to, to go as students, I've had to, a chance to present. And when I do present, I can't help but notice, but I'm one of the few, if not the only person of any type of color on that board who is presenting and teaching the material. So I, I'm glad that you you talk about that, you know, hey, this is black trainers, trainers of color. They're not just trainers who are here to help you get physically fit because we're in shape, but we've studied this, we, we know this, and we can teach this, not just to our clients, but to other trainers as well. Exactly, exactly. I think there's a wealth of knowledge that is just not tapped into. You know, it's not just, oh, can we have you for a photo shoot or, oh, can right. you teach this class or you're right. the most popular teacher. Can you teach this class? Like, I think if you go a step deeper, you know, you'll find that these trainers are so smart and have so much knowledge and they have so much that they can give to the community. You know, they just need to be offered that opportunity and that platform. Right. No doubt. And I, it's it's funny as we sit here and I don't, funny is not the right word, but um, colloquial saying, uh, you know, it, it's funny as we sit here and I think about the, the people who have taught me the most and the trainers who I consider the smartest around me. Obviously, Chris is, is one of them. I, you know, Chris is the reason I have the career I do in this field. The amount he's taught me. Um, I think of people like Jamie Loeffler at Exos in Dallas, who's a Latinx female. I, she's one of the smartest people I know. Joe Holder, who talked uh, obviously yeah. talked to you for your piece. I Joe loses me in an Instagram thread, you know, about <laughs> once or twice a week, where I'm like, I'm not smart enough to process what you are talking about. So the examples are out there. Yo Murphy, our friend down in Tampa, like he, just cool. brilliant, brilliant yeah. people, and, and that deserve bigger platforms and and can hopefully get them to educate people. Because God, if you listen, there's so much good information out there from trainers of color all over. And now, sports. NBA playoffs continuing on. And last night, Joe, your Boston Celtics got screwed. 125-122, <laughs> double overtime they lose. That game should have been over in regulation at least twice. Mm. How exciting, though. I mean, that I mean that game, you were glued last night to, to game six, which now, game seven, uh, which is tomorrow night, I believe. Yes. I agree. And the, the some interesting decisions by those refs again last night. Uh, I'm sure you would agree. Daniel Tice clearly fouled at the end uh, or on a uh, dunk attempt late in that game. Obviously, that would have changed how things played out in regulation if he's able to go to the free throw line and hit that. Instead, no call. Boston's last shot, Kemba Walker, clearly fouled. Unbelievable they didn't call it. 
Um, that was nuts. I thought Tatum, uh, and then there's a foul call on the other end, and I thought it was a bad call on Jason Tatum. That one affected the game less. Um, it winds up going to double overtime. No points scored in the final two minutes of regulation. Um, the game was just a mess in a lot of ways, but it was intriguing. It was it was highly entertaining, uh, and now we get a game seven. How? Let's uh, see what you got, Boston boy. How confident are you in the Celtics in a game seven? I mean, uh, I think they should have wrapped the series up a few, few games ago. So to see that we're going to a game seven is it makes me a little bit nervous. But you know, and I, I got to be honest, these guys don't have that much experience this deep into the playoffs. So, you know, I'm definitely keeping my eye on the squad, but I I, I definitely think, uh, you know, coaching, uh, we, we have a great coach, and we're going to, we have, we have, by the way, we have a great bench too. So, like, if our guys get super tired and from, you know, make running up and down for four quarters, we do have a, a pretty strong bench to kind of get in there and, 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 and make things happen, you know, down the stretch. So, uh I'm definitely going to be watching Game Seven. I think I think we're gonna we're gonna come out the victor here, and I think there's a good chance we definitely need to contain Lowry. The dude is a beast. And, he's the most annoying uh, player. Okay, he's not the most annoying player in the NBA because James Harden exists. He's one of the two most annoying players in the NBA. But both those dudes are amazing. When you say annoying, just their on play presence, or just just, just in general for Lowry specifically, he flops all over the place and it drives me nuts. And he. He does BS stuff. Like, he undercut Tatum last night, which was ridiculous. He, like, scooped his legs out from under him. Um, and just, like, being a general... They're, they're, like, you know when you play 2K against someone and they try to take charges at half court? I do it all the time, so I'm admitting that I've done this. And But I, I typically will only do it to a computer. I will not do this to a friend because then that friend would have every right to throw his controller at me. Um, but, like, they just try to, like, jump in front of you and it's like... Hey, play defense and quit just, like, jumping in front of people. Kyle Lowry does that in real life, and I hate it. It's not basketball. Yeah. Well, and he gets away with it a lot, too. So. Yeah, because they have referees, and if he did it in a pickup game, there would be fights. Like, don't do stuff that would start fights in pickup games. That that should be a rule. You should get—referees should be able to call a technical foul on you if you do something that would start a fight in a pickup game. Yeah, heard that. So, uh, we'll be watching Game 7 tomorrow— Celts, Raptors, go Celts. Official word of Joe. And I agree because I don't want to see any more of Kyle Lowry playing basketball. Uh, the other game last night, uh, which was interesting uh, to watch while we watched it, but the unfortunate part was by the time we all got there, because we were watching the, the Celtics-Raptors uh, game, it was already a blowout. But Nuggets kept coming back, coming back against the Clippers. I think it was 24-9 at the end of one. Uh, and the Nuggets did a good job of making it a game, but at the end, the hole was just too big. But I think the most interesting thing was afterwards, a lot of run today for a quote that Michael Porter Jr. gave where he was like, you know, someone asked him, what happened? You had 15 points in the first half. You didn't have any in the second. Did they change anything? And he's like, no, not really. We just kind of became, we, we, you know, went through Nikola Jokic and we went through Jamal Murray and I didn't touch the ball. And so... Uh, you know, it's up to the coaches. Obviously, those are two great players. We never can go wrong with that, but we got to get more people involved to beat this team. And so people are killing him because he's a rookie, and also his demeanor was kind of off-putting during. He's sitting there eating snacks during the press conference. And so people are like, you know, look at this kid talking at a turn. And I'm like, hey, can we not criticize athletes for being honest when they're correct? 
I am such, this used to drive me nuts as a media person. You know, oh, I can't believe they threw their teammate under the bus. I'm like, did he? Throwing your teammate under the bus is when he's not doing the right thing and you blame it on him, which does happen sometimes. But what I don't like is especially media members because it discourages honesty going, he threw him under the bus when what he actually did was he pointed out that his coach was under the bus. There's a difference. Calling it like you see it and saying, hey, my coach is under the bus versus, hey, coach, I'm throwing you under the bus. There's a difference, and we should be cognizant of it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it makes me think of, like, when you and I were working together back in Greenville years ago, and we had a post-show press conference, and I was being questioned about my about my performance. Actually, you were about my performance, and you threw me under the bus for having a bad show. But in fact, I did have a bad show. I would be upset with you. I wouldn't be upset with you. You'd be calling me out, and that makes me a better teammate, I would think, co-host in this situation, for the next show to be a better performer. Right. Am I You'd, you'd right? be mad because I, I, you wouldn't be mad at me for saying it. You'd be mad because I was right, so you'd be mad at yourself for having a bad show. Right. And you're just shining light on my performance, which wasn't the greatest, and I would be aware of it, to then on next show... Do better. Right? Ta-da. See, this isn't that hard. But you want to know what, Joe? That never happened because you never had a bad show. Ah, sign this boy up, huh? He knows the truth. Look good, feel good, do good this week. Uh, It's actually going to continue in sports uh, with our look good because the NFL starts tonight, actually. Uh, We're going to run through the games of the weekend and give you one thing that we are looking forward to for each of them, starting with tonight, Texans and Chiefs. Joe, uh, I'll let you take this one. Well, Mahone, I'm excited to see Mahone back in action tonight. Uh, last year, Super Bowl champ. Uh, Chiefs, again, look very strong uh, this year. Excited to see what they kind of can can pull off. Uh, obviously, it makes sense that they are tonight's opener because they took it all last year. Uh and he's also worth $500 million. So, you know, you'd like to see someone's performance after making a shit ton of money in the offseason. Cha-ching. And he's worth it. He's unbelievable. Uh, Sunday games, starting at 1 o'clock. Eagles and the Washington football team. The first in the Washington football team era. Uh, obviously retiring the racist nickname. Uh, looking forward to Dwayne Haskins in year two for Washington. I obviously covered this team last year and, and have for the last five. So excited to see what they do. Terry McLaurin on, on the outside in year two at wide receiver. Uh, first game for Ron Rivera and that staff. So I'm excited to see kind of what the differences are in, in, in that team against a familiar foe in Philadelphia. Ron Rivera's old team, the Panthers, takes on the Raiders. Anything uh, stand out for you here, Joe? I'm, I'm excited to watch Teddy Bridgewater play quarterback for Carolina, finally getting his shot as a starter. Well, I'm actually excited to see. This is the first time in the first game the Raiders are in Vegas, right? Is this the first uh, So this is this is the first Las Vegas Raiders game, but the game is in Carolina. So, But that still is interesting. Like, what did the uniforms look like? How, what is, what yeah. is Vegas see about it? Right. So I'm excited to see that energy, how the Raiders come out and play. And, uh, uh, and by, by the way, this is Carolina's uh, first game without Cam Newton. So it's going to see how, how, how they all kind of gel together uh, for week one. Indeed. Uh, Seahawks and Falcons, that's a 1 o'clock kick on Fox. Uh, I am 
honestly not that excited for that one. I'm always, and Russell Wilson's always fun to watch, but there's nothing that stands out. Uh, I guess you could probably say pretty similar things for the Jets and Bills. Like, that'll be an entertaining game, but there's no massive storyline in that one. Yeah, I mean, Jets, man, come on. I mean, nothing wrong with the Jets, but it's the Jets. Right. Come on. Well, what is, how, how does Sam Darnold's season go horribly awry because he's a Jets quarterback, even though he's really good? Uh, Bears and Lions. Uh, quarterback situation in Chicago is interesting. Mitch Trubisky uh, on his final legs there. They brought in Nick Foles. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, Detroit's always interesting to me because like they always seem to be way more talented than their record winds up being. Uh, so keep an eye on that. Uh, Packers and Vikings, also a 1 o'clock game. There's a ton in the 1 o'clock window on Sunday. Uh, Packers and Vikings. Uh, Dolphins and Patriots. Obviously, there's some yes. interesting storylines there. Yeah, uh, Pat's uh, first game with Cam Newton. Uh, they made some adjustments on the defensive side as well. Uh, excited to see Pat's in week one. S- excited to see how Belichick gels with his new quarterback and Mr. Newton. Uh, and to see how uh, that kind of unfolds. It's a new era up in New England, so excited to see how that definitely uh, transpires throughout the season. No doubt. Uh, Colts and Jaguars, a little personal intrigue here. Uh, The former Washington football team head coach, Jay Gruden, is the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville, a guy who always wanted to take a lot more chances than his quarterbacks that he had here in Washington, has Gardner Minshew and his mustache down there in Jacksonville, a guy who's not afraid to sling it. So I think that could be a fun team offensively, so I'm kind of intrigued by that. Uh, Browns and Ravens should be fun. Obviously, Lamar Jackson's first game is defending uh, MVP. Chargers and Bengals kick off the 4 o'clock window. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't have a lot lot for you on this one. Oh, I guess I do. Joe Burrow. He's the number one overall pick uh, in Cincinnati. So, what does he do at quarterback? That's fun. Uh, Bucks and Saints. uh, They've got a quarterback battle that's uh, slightly older. Bucks and Saints. Yeah. That's going to be, an, obviously, a very watched game. Brady's first game with Tampa Bay. Of course, you got Drew Brees with the Saints. Uh, this could be his last year. There's a lot of rumors that he might retire. So, a uh, very exciting matchup there week one with the Bucks and Saints. No doubt. Cardinals and 49ers should be a good one, too. Kyler Murray, uh, year two. And 49ers, offensively, are going to be a blast to watch. It's the most underrated signing to me of the offseason because the Niners were obviously already great. They almost won the Super Bowl last year. And they have the best tight end in football in George Kittle. They also might have the second best tight end in football. Jordan Reed is a monster. I got to see him in Washington. He's been unhealthy since 2015. Last year, he looked incredible. He was back to being himself in training camp. And then he gets a concussion on what turns out to be his final play of his season. He sits out the whole year or is out the whole year. Is The concussion symptoms just never were quite right. He signs this offseason in San Francisco and now you have Kyle Shanahan, who's one of the best offensive minds in all of football with just these ridiculous weapons at the tight end position. So I'm excited to watch how Kyle puts it all together. And then final games of the weekend, the primetime games. Cowboys-Rams, that one's going to be fun on Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, first game at SoFi Stadium out there in L.A. And actually, I wonder if the fires and some of the weather and the air quality has any effect. I don't know. Is that, that's, that's interesting. That, it's got to have a roof, right? Uh, I, I don't know that answer. That's a good question. For not a only that, that costs like four billion dollars, it better have a roof if, or a retractable roof. But, yeah. but also no fans. So you know that's the other thing is having no fans. A lot of these stadiums is going to be a, a a huge advantage and disadvantage for some of these teams. No doubt. Uh, and then the Monday Nighters: Steelers, Giants, Titans, Broncos. A uh, couple of intriguing things there, but uh, nothing overwhelming. Should be fun. Football's back. Yeah. For, for all the things that didn't happen on time this year, second week of September, NFL football. Uh, That's exciting. 
that's look good. Uh, now to feel good. And uh, Joe, I'm gonna gonna go on my 800th rant of the show. <laughs> this would be we a mini waiting, rant. waiting with bated breath. So uh, I was doing some weigh-ins with a couple of my clients uh, this week, and uh, they weren't good. Now, uh, they had spent a lot of, I'm not putting this on any other trainer. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm putting on in a second. They had spent a lot of time uh, with other trainers and stuff over the course of COVID or working out of themselves and quarantine because obviously the gym was closed. And um, the, one of them, his weight's higher than when we started two years ago. And he, we had gotten him down 25 pounds, and now he's gained it all back and then some. And so I started asking questions and I'm like, all right, well, what's changed? We've been working really hard since I've been back. And I know the other trainer that, uh, that they were working with pushed them really, really hard. So what's changed? And you think, well, immediately you go to diet, but I I had an inclination. It was something else, alcohol. And immediately he goes, oh yeah, I've been drinking a lot. Mm. It is really easy during quarantine to, because we're home all the time, to drink a lot more than usual. And we are also all living extremely sedentary lifestyles because we're just not up and about and moving. Like we we walk from our room to wherever our home office is and kind of that's the lap for the day. And so when you combine this, this the significantly more sedentary lifestyle with the ease of access to food and alcohol, this is what you get. And so... My advice to people and feel good this week is to just be super conscious because it's not going to get better between now and basically next spring. It's going to get worse because in the winter we're all more sedentary anyway because say you've been making a point to get over some of that sitting around all day by going for a walk. You're not going to go for a walk when it's cold out. So as the temperature starts to dip, uh, make sure that you're uh, being careful about your, your alcohol consumption. Yeah, maybe drink less alcohol, you sludge, and drink more water. Wow, way to be judgy, Joe. I'm not judging. I'm just helping the situation. There's nothing wrong with having a couple beers, a beer or two. Just combat it with water. That's all. (laughs) Make sure you're getting enough water at at the same time. Drink more water. Uh, And also, good advice that I told them. uh, I was like, all right, look, you know, Quit having six beers three times a week. And that doesn't mean if you, okay, fine, we're not going to drink during the week. It doesn't mean you get to make up for it and have 18 on Sunday. Right. Yeah. That's key, by the way. You know what that that is, Joe? It's it's math. (laughs) It's hard math. Speaking of helping, Joe, do good. How we wrap up the show every week. How are we helping people this week, Joe? What, What recommendation are we making? I think it's a, it's a good time. We're, we're kind of rounding summer, getting into fall, and it's a good time for some fall cleaning for everybody. And I want to shout out to all our friends and neighbors at Goodwill. Um, they tend to get uh, pretty busy during the fall season because everyone kind of goes through their closets and starts cleaning their rooms and closets and, 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 and offices and basements and donates shit. Uh, so keep doing that. That's important because there's a lot of uh, less unfortunate people out there and that kind of need help and, and, and looking for things that they need. Um, and they just simply don't want to spend $900 at Ikea anymore. And I totally get that. So, uh, let's, uh, let's clean, uh, clean our rooms, you slobs. 
um, you know, put things together, put them in bags, donate stuff. Um, you know, it's it, it, that's all good. And by the way, it's it could be a, ra- a, a tax write-off. So if you know you got a, a ton of stuff or a ton of electronics you want to get a giveaway, donate it and make sure you get a receipt because you can uh, use that for your taxes uh, next year. Joe's not only doing good, he's saving you money. I actually did a giant cleaning this weekend and brought a couple of bags to a donation spot. Uh, so I love that. It's great. And it's also, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of an election. And so that tends to bump down a bunch of causes. And so things like donating clothes or giving to some other charitable organizations probably, and also people don't have as much disposable income. Uh, so those things are probably taking a hit. So if you if you have the ability, you have some extra stuff, you have some extra cash, you know, go back to go back to some old reliables. Uh, they could probably use the help right about now. That's our show for this week, Joseph. Any parting wisdom on the way out? Uh, it's been a great week. Uh, we're gonna keep our eye on everything out here. We're gonna stay safe. We're gonna drink plenty of water, and we're gonna send Craigie some snacks because little yes. boy is hungry. Yes, it's lunchtime. It is so lunchtime. Uh, this weekend, if you are a soccer fan, NWSL on Twitch noon, we are playing. Uh, the Washington Spirit being the Wii uh, against Chicago Red Stars. I'll have pregame for you at 1130, so make sure that you check that out. Pregame on Twitch as well. The Washington Spirit Twitch page. Uh, other than that, Joe, you have nothing to promote, so I just sound super shameless, but it's, uh, you know, we're co-owners of this podcast, so it is. Joe's already left the building. Why are you, why are you so far away from the desk? This is my my outro. I'm waving oh, goodbye to everybody. You're in your outro uh, by the position. Way, yeah, I'm in the outro position. Let's let's plug our Instagrams and Twitters at Joey Gerard at Craig Hoffman uh, for some great following. Material. Instagram, there's an underscore in mine at Craig underscore Hoffman. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. Thanks for checking out the pod. Subscribe, rate, you, and we are out of here. This is chasing interesting.